Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Friday's edition of Keep Calm and Cope Corona Cast. I'm so excited that all four of us are on the call today. Uh, Lindsay Griffith, South New Jersey, Katie Barnard in Kansas City, and our friend Marcy Schunk, who's going to lead the call today, is out of Houston. Um, and then yours truly in South San Francisco. So thanks, ladies, for getting up and getting on the call. Well, and you forgot our special guest, Elena, 13 months old. Yay! <laughs> We'll probably be heard in the background because we are in quarantine. There was a COVID case at her daycare. She's the real host of the podcast. Exactly. Well, that, you know, in many respects is the perfect segue to today's topic. <laughs> yes. Happy to be a server. <laughs> so we titled today's topic, what's good for the goose is good for the gander or is it? And what we want to talk about today is exploring whether women are harder hit by the COVID crisis and spoiler alert, we think they are. Um, and then talk a little bit about why, why this is the case. So as a single mother and business owner who just received word that my school is going to be virtual at least through October, um, this is a topic I find, you know, it's particularly close to home and it's difficult to juggle, especially, you know, when you're a single business, excuse me, when you're a business owner who is responsible for all of the financial burdens in addition to, and I know Katie, you are speaking your language here. So even in normal times, we know that you know, women oftentimes have a greater burden of the household responsibilities and tasks regarding children. There was this article, I can't remember where it showed up. It was probably about 10 years ago where they talked about the concept of a default parent. Did, are any of you familiar with that? Yes. Yep. So it's the person who ultimately has all of the responsibility, not, not that they're taking on all the responsibility for necessarily doing everything that needs to be done, but they're the person who's constantly monitoring mentally what's going on. So are that, the children... The, the other name for that was me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is that constant, right? Your brain is constantly going, you know, are, are the children getting enough development? Is the husband happy? Is the household being taken care of? Is it clean? Have, has everything been scheduled and organized that needs to be scheduled? Is everybody in a good emotional state? I mean, just like that constant running track in your head. And so whether it's coordinating rides for sports activities or scheduling you know, the pesky annual checkups with the doctor, or even making sure that the kids have socks that fit and don't have holes in them, which I can't say I'm doing very well on right now. Um, All so the emotional labor, right, Marcy? It, well, exactly. And on top of it all, you've got, you're worried about everybody's mental state and emotional state and how, how is everybody else holding up in this environment? So now we're in the midst of a global pandemic and people are at home full time trying to juggle work and family life, whether it's caring for a spouse or a parent or a child or a pet, it doesn't matter. You're, you've, you're suddenly in an environment where you have more responsibilities centralized in a single location than you have before. And this is all, you know, while operating in this high anxiety environment. So we can't help to notice that this is taking a harder toll on women. So like we like to do, I thought we would start with a few stats. And this is from an article in The Guardian. So I'm going to just read one of the quotes from the article. 
So study after study has shown that even as women have stepped forward in the workforce, in married heterosexual couples, women still shoulder the bulk of household chores. A Gallup poll from January, and this was this year, found women were more than seven times as likely to care for their children on a daily basis as men in heterosexual married or cohabiting couples. And 80% of single parent families are headed by single mothers, according to the 2019 U.S. Census Bureau data. Mm-hmm. So I love this woman. She, you know, Susan, you sent me last week the trailer for Savvy, dollar sign, A-V-V-Y. And this woman, Christy Wallace, who's the CEO of Elevate Network, was in it. And her quote in this article is, women are typically the chief healthcare officer, the chief entertainment officer, the chief education officer in their homes. Uh, And in a time of crisis, a time where we don't have a clear playbook, but we do a lot of panic and anxiety, the weight of these roles is quite overwhelming. So, Lindsay, you said it. Say really quickly right there. Um, do you? <clears throat> let's give a shout out to Robin Hauser, the filmmaker for that film. Um, it's amazing. You should all watch the trailer and invest in the documentary, and then watch the documentary. But Christy Wallace is a friend of mine, and she lives this. I want you to know, Marcy, when you're saying these words, like you, she has kids that uh, are the same ages as your kids. So she's not just writing for this article. She's living this, or writing for the, yeah. <laughs> So just a little shout out to Christy Wallace. Mm -hmm. And she's fantastic. I love the company itself. So her company, Elevate Network, is a group that supports women in the workplace. That's that's her purpose, which is fantastic. So I guess this is where we can start. You just mentioned a little bit about my situation. So let's talk a little bit about your individual situations and how is the pandemic so far impacting you and your life, whether it's personal, family, emotional, in ways that are different than the men in your lives. There she is. Oh, yay. She <laughs> wants to speak <laughs> um, I need to start by giving my husband a shout out. Elena is with me right now, but he got up with her at seven and did the first two hours. So we're getting, we're getting better and better at um, figuring it out since we're on quarantine and, and doing shifts. Um, but yeah, we have full time with us a 13 month old, and then <laughs> yes, and then um, half the time we have a third grader and two ninth graders, uh, so eight year old and two 14 year olds. And so, you know, we try to play to strengths, and Dave is fantastic at you know the engagement, entertainment with the kids, and I try to plan the meals, and um, we kind of joke that he's the gunfighter, he addresses the problems when they arise, and I'm the the general who plans everything out, so, you know, trying to play to strengths, but it seems like with the pandemic, everything is kind of a moving target, too. And I'm going to put us on mute now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She's ready to be a podcast hostess. She is. She is just jumping in there. <laughs> I know. I Her little it. voice is so great. What about you, Lindsay? Oh, me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm responsible for everything. I don't have any kids here, so that puts me in a slightly different position. But um, yeah, I do feel like uh, I was thinking this recently because I'm responsible for every 
decision that happens in my household. And sometimes that can be freeing in a lot of ways because I don't have to check that with anyone. But sometimes the weight of that is a lot because, you know, if something goes wrong or um, if there's a decision to be made, it all comes down to me. So um, I know, for example, this happens a lot with my dogs, which I know some people think like, oh, pets are different than kids. And yes, they are, of course. But um, my dogs are both senior dogs. And so sometimes there are some big decisions that have to be made in terms of their health. And uh, both my dogs have different health issues. And some of those can be pretty weighty decisions, you know, surgeries and whatever, and, and weighing those against their um, their like, you know, quality of life. Um, and uh, I'm the only one that can make those decisions at the end of the day. And that some of that can be pretty emotional. Um, and I take on a lot of the burden of checking in on my friends and making sure they're okay. And um, I don't know if the men in my life do a lot of that in the same way. Like I know, for example, my dad has one very good friend that he checks in on a lot and they keep in close contact, but I have a group of very good friends <laughs> that I check in on a lot and make sure they're okay. And so the emotional burden of that is, is pretty high. You know, it's like, okay, have I heard from this person in a while? No, check in on her. Have I heard from this person? No. Okay. This person's suffering. What resource would be good to help her? Um, you know, sort of like, thank you, all Lindsay. I know that's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's doing that kind of work on top, which is not work because I love those people and want to make sure they're okay. But on top of making sure my business is flourishing and all of those people are also emotionally okay in addition to their businesses being okay. So yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I think, you know, for all of us, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious, I, I, we don't have a male voice on this podcast to, to pop in here, but how many men are doing the same thing, right? Are checking in on their friends and family in the same way. I think there's certainly are some of them, but I think that may even be a place where it's different. I think women tend to be more in tune emotionally. And actually this is a perfect, Susan, this is your specialty. Tell us the, the facts behind that. Well, I can tell you that women tend to be more collaborative and less afraid to ask questions and uh, more engaged emotionally. They're empathetic. Um, but I say all these things without, I mean, I have to give, you know, there's always an exception and I'm going to talk about Mike. I talk about him all the time on the show, but I want to give him a shout out. You're talking about calling friends, checking on friends. He doesn't do that, okay? He barely does it with his girls. And it's just not the kind of person he is. But I think some of that is a male uh, communications trait, like a gendered communications trait. He just doesn't. But to give him one little prop, he does check in on the people who report to him. So I don't know if that counts. Um, but he will email, have a call, send, you know, here, here are gift cards, go eat at, a, you know, order from a local uh, restaurant so that we're supporting local restaurants, pick it up, bring it back home and stay in your house and eat it. But he does, he asks his department heads, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's this quarantine treating you? Um, he also gives out food every, um, other Saturday, they give out like a thousand boxes of food and he doesn't even have to show up, but he does. He does it um, and just to physically lift boxes of food and put them in the trunks of cars as they drive through the, the line. These are people who've lost their jobs. They can't afford to shop at the grocery store or certainly can't afford Amazon Prime deliveries. But um, 
So a little shout out there, but you're right. I think in general, men are not as uh, empathetic. And even if they have that feel, they don't act on it, right? So we know men are afraid to ask questions, look vulnerable, feel like they might be poking their nose where it doesn't belong. Whereas women are like, how are you doing? No, really tell me, how can I help you? Is everything okay? I mean, Lindsay's my, <laughs> when she was talking about this, um, people who suck her dry, that, that was me. Um, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I probably do that to all, all three of y'all actually. <laughs> but awesome. yeah. yeah. Susan, as you're talking, something I'm wondering, um, you know, when you're talking about Mike specifically, I wonder if sometimes men do that because they're, assuming that that emotional burden has already been delegated. So he, when, when it comes to work, he's not sure that those people are necessarily taken care of. So that's why he does it. But in his personal life, he may assume that those people are taken care of by the women in his life already. That's so, a great point. Oh my God, like, Lindsay, that's genius. And you know, he was raised by a single mom because his mom died when he was young. And then he had five sisters. Then he married um, a woman he met when they were in high school. This is, this is, she was 15. He was 17 when they met. They dated throughout high school, got married in college, stayed married 25 years and had three girls. So he's been around a lot of women and they do do the taking care of, like Marcy's saying, they do do the heavy lifting. I think another factor is um, men don't, have like Michael doesn't have nearly the number of friends that I do. It could be a personality thing, but I don't think men in general have these giganormous buckets of friends like we do. Right. Like, oh, I, no, I, I agree. And you know, it's just like, we were giggling about mother's day and father's day, like mother's day, all these different tribes of friends I have are sending each other messages. Like, you know, you're doing a great job and I love you. And I'm so happy that we're friends and have a great day because you deserve it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dave does not get one message like that on Father's Day. And we were talking about what his friends would do if he sent that message, you know, hey, great job. It's interesting as I was listening to you, Susan, I was sitting here and thinking that in some ways, you know, I know we're sitting here and talking about things being gendered, but there are also people that break the gender roles. And I am probably one of those women who is not as, yeah, I don't reach out as much um, yeah, with respect. Yeah, I, I am. I'm that person. I, I will be the person who, you know, every so often it crosses my mind and I think, wow, I should really reach out and, you know, check on my parents or, and I'm, I'm trying, you know, people closest to me who I love and adore. Um, and, but I'm always there. If anybody reaches out, I had a girlfriend reach out last night who had had a bad day and I am there and I am on it. And I, I get that. But I also have a man in my life who does have a very large friend circle who is constantly, you know, checking in on people and wow. um, yes, exactly. And so it's very, it's interesting as you were speaking, I was thinking, I wonder if there's some, you know, correlation there. Yeah, between, attraction to. Yes, exactly. You know. You're the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. But I do think there's also from and I do think this is true, and this is true of me as well, um, is this idea that women tend to have more mental health challenges. Um, in fact, and this is from, from an article, 
as a point of reference, women are twice as likely to experience anxiety as men. So according to research studies published in Brain and Behavior, which is a UK publication in 2016. So the findings reveal that about 4% of people worldwide have anxiety disorder, which is a figure that remained almost constant between 1990 and 2010. I'm curious where it's gonna go from here. So, <laughs> so I do think that women are taking on this added emotional burden of being responsible, not just for their own emotional and mental health, but for those around them, right? So they're concerned about their friends, as you said, Lindsay, or they're concerned about their family. And it's, let's pause there for a minute and just talk a little bit about that, because I think that definitely takes a toll on women's mental health. And since women are already predisposed to a higher level of anxiety and mental health challenges, this environment in particular puts them in a position. And I know we've talked a lot on the podcast about resources and different tools and ways to help people in this regard. Um, but have you found anything with respect to yourselves and the way that you're engaging with others that enables you to, I don't know if it's creating a boundary or, or doing something that enables you to keep up your mental health and your emotional stores? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's even tougher in the quarantine because we have so many ways for people to get in touch with us. And I think knowing how hard it is for myself to cope, I recognize how hard it is for my friends and loved ones. So I do feel like there is this expectation that I put on myself, not that others are putting on me, that I need to really give of myself until there's nothing left. Um, so it is hard to put that boundary in place. There are times I think where I have been trying to be intentional about my time in that regard. So there are weekends where I'll say, okay, I'm not going to check social media. There are certain apps where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be as available on Marco Polo or I'm not going to check Facebook messenger. Um, and I'll, you know, either tell my friends that, or I won't tell them but I'll try to spend more time outside uh, or doing things that are not tied to a screen. And that really restores me. And I find that that helps with my mental health a lot more, but I need to try and set more of those boundaries. Not doing things at night is really helpful too. Not reaching out to too many people at night so that I have a break between what you know is going on in my own head and taking on too much of what's going on with other people because i i find that i do too much of that a little bit but i think it's about being intentional with your time still being there for other people but not giving all of yourself to those other people mm -hmm. that that's such a great example as you're speaking i was thinking i, I feel like i've had a considerably less time to myself Mm -hmm. uh, since this all started for a number of different reasons. I mean, part of it is that the children are home from school. Part of it is that I have a new relationship. And part of it, probably the biggest part of it in some ways, is I'm not traveling. And for me, traveling was my alone time. It was my adult time. It was my place where I was, you know, 
just moving along through the world, but having all of my own time, my own thoughts. I, I can't tell you how much I used to relish the, you know, three or four hours on an airplane um, just because it's my time. It's my space. And I don't have that right now. And I was thinking in my head the other night that I'm missing that. Like I may need to actually take an entire day to myself at some point soon, just to restore some of that emotional health. Marcy, I am nodding and screaming <laughs> in affirmation with you. <laughs> the other day, it was just, it was one of those days, you know, and I thought, you know, it would be great tonight. Like I'll just have Dave take the kids out to dinner and then, you know, I can just zone out and watch TV and just be alone. And then it was like, oh, he can't take them to dinner. We can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of that, like, yearning for solitude and processing that it's so challenging right now. That's when you're like, I'm going to get in the car and drive by myself and be alone somewhere alone. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, um, one of my like best pandemic getaways was just, I drove an hour to see my mom, but like fast highway driving under a big Kansas sky was perfect. And we have a toddler jailbreak. So I'm muting again. (laughs) This is fantastic. I have to say, I know, Susan, you give shout outs. I'm going to give a shout out right now because I was in this state, I guess it was, I had been alone with my kids for three weeks. Their dad had gone on a trip. And so they were quarantined. I was quarantined the children from him for two weeks afterwards. So I had three weeks straight with my boys and I love them. But by the end of three weeks, I was, I was very much ready to hand them over. And the day that they were supposed to go, I received word from their father that, you know, this may not work out for whatever reason, that he just may not be available. And I pretty much kind of fell apart. And, um, and it, was, it was more dramatic than that. He actually indicated that he was going to move out of state and he can be dramatic sometimes. So I pretty much fell apart and I reached out to the guy that I'm dating. And I have to tell you, if there was ever the most perfect response, his response was, we will figure this out. If I need to come and take your kids, and he didn't even have his kids, come and take your kids and go to the park or have them come over here for a couple of hours so that you can get a break, I will do that. And I just, I was in tears. We like him. Um, this That's is great. the right response, right? This, yes. this, <laughs> <laughs> this is why. So yes. That's awesome. That's well, let me just tell you, um, Earl, we, we know we, we're not surprised by Earl, but, um, <laughs> but we are so excited that this guy um, gave you the right answer. And sincerely, from what you said about him, I'm, I know he, he means it. Um, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, for me, I, I, I hate to be the person who's like, it's because honestly, even, even when it was James, when he was young, it was just him, right? We were, I was a single mom for the first nine years of his life. And 
he was easy peasy. And I know all our kids are not always easy peasy, but, and I, maybe if I'd had a second one, it might've been a different story. Um, but this kid was just like an old soul and, you know, Hey mom, can I play with a spoon for eight hours? Sure, honey. You know? <laughs> it was so easy. And then, um, you know, now he's off in Montana and hasn't written in days. And I make him check in. Are you happy? He's like, T-T-Y-L. And, I, and I'm like, okay, well, at least he's alive. You know? But um, when he was stuck home here, um, you know, studying his Berkeley exams upstairs, all classes online, he was depressed. And I know I mentioned this before. And I told Lindsay about it. I think I actually told all of you about it because I was shocked. He's, you know, he's 19. A lot of kids that age go through some depression, but he was extra depressed because he missed the social aspect that freshman year of college brings to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to handle it because literally we have had a good run. I never had that age where uh, I was like, Oh my God, you know, God gives us the teen years so that we're ready to get the kids out of the house. (laughs) You know, I didn't have that. I was like, Oh, I want him to stay here forever. And then when I saw how unhappy it was, it really broke my heart. But that was the toughest part of the quarantine for us, I'll say. Uh, My husband, I don't know what's going on with him, if he's been drinking something or the smell of something (laughs) in the air, but he cooks, he cleans, he waters the garden, he goes to the grocery store, he buys little cards and writes notes in them and leaves them under my pillow. And I mean, like last night, I found myself grumpy. I I told y'all this morning on the call that I was kind of grumpy today. Um, I think because I didn't get a good night's sleep, but yeah, I was kind of grumpy last night and he was, um, like he was just being his normal self. And I caught myself being this total B word. (laughs) I was like, who is this woman? And he was like, do you need to go to bed early tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Which would normally make you matter. Right. But I quickly, yeah, exactly. I'm not your child. Don't tell me what to do. But I snapped out of it and was like, wow, what was that about? I think I've just been going. It's what Lindsay mentioned about um, her healthy decision to disconnect from everything that plugs into the wall or runs on Wi-Fi or whatever. I don't have that healthy. uh, I haven't made that healthy decision yet in my life. I'm always connected. I sleep with the phone next to me. If it buzzes, I think it's because of being a single mom for so long and James being an only child, I've gotten the habit to gotten in the habit of having uh, access all the time. So to, to, to have a mental health, you know, um, to, so, so to say I haven't suffered through COVID, like what we're talking about today, I have not had those issues, but I am taking a break today and unplugging after you ladies. <laughs> I said, I can't leave my girls. Oh my God. So after Good. you, I'm driving to Healdsburg, rolling down the window, opening the sunroof, living out of a, an igloo for the next uh, two days. Going to do a, um, a raft on the Russian River with just some good wine and some cheese and, you know, Asiago cheese and wheat thin crackers. <laughs> And some music and a good book. And I'm going to float down this slow moving river, shallow, slow moving river mm. and just be. Nice. That sounds perfect. It really does. I would love <laughs> y'all to be here with me to do that. When you I would love visit, to be there with you. <laughs> we have, look, we have two big guest rooms. And when you come visit me, 
we'll stay here. We'll take the two-hour drive. We get a little cute little hotel in Healdsburg. It's got a town square, a fountain. It's got all these fine wineries. It's on the Russian River. And you can take a full-day raft ride. Just start at one place and just slowly drift. And it's so gorgeous. And when you get to the oh, end, wow. they, they pick up the raft for you. And you go on your way. And you eat dinner outside at some... I mean, these are really good restaurants. It's like it might be a, yes. a dive, but Wolfgang Puck, Puck, you know, it's that kind of quality. Um, wow. Yeah. So come stay with me. I'll make your life better. <laughs> as soon as we can get on a plane. Exactly. I put my kid on one to Montana. He's been gone two weeks. It'll be another two weeks before he comes back. Wow. It's tempting. <laughs> yeah, no. Anything to get out of it. We have a thunderstorm coming through and I can't tell you how excited I am because it's so hot here right now. <laughs> so what is right. the temperature there in Houston? I'm just curious. I don't know what it is today, but it has been in the nineties and it is the, the humidity here. Yeah. It kills you. You walk out and you're yep. dripping um, within a minute. And yeah. so, yes, it's. That's the hard part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I grew up in Boston. We had a lot of heat and humidity up there during the summer, but it went back and forth. We would have some days that were horrible and then some days that got better. Uh, so, but yeah, down here, we're just, we're in it. You know, in March when you were all stuck inside because it was too cold to go outside and we were down here going quarantine, what? We can still <laughs> go for walks, right? No, no. Now, now we're in... <laughs> In the moment where you don't want to leave the house because it's it's so awful out. Um, I remember uh, living in New or-, or Baton Rouge in New Orleans, Louisiana. Same kind of thing. It was hot and sticky, and everybody down there wears tons of makeup. And you'd walk outside, and your mascara would be on your chin because <laughs> your face is melting like a um, um, a Dali painting. <laughs> Mosquitoes were sticking to your skin. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I don't even have air conditioning here. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> We're in a heat advisory, and so I will be with a toddler in the house all weekend, um, and it's going to feel like 110. I think oh. we should send Candy some wine. <laughs> I was just going to say, I actually did send her a bottle of wine recently um, yeah, because we made wonderful. this bet. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. We made a bet that. Um, that my team would kick her teams, you know what, in the Super Bowl. And you know me, Miss Trash Talker. I had to come clean. I lost. <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm going to helps. completely shift gears Go ahead. on us. Uh, I know we've spent so far talking about the mental and emotional burden. And we all sound a little loopy, which I actually think is <laughs> quite apropos. So, so let's shift and talk, though, about the careers right? So we're also in a situation, this is fascinating. Um, There's a number of pieces of data out there indicating that women are being hit harder uh, from a career perspective. So a couple, I'm going to read from a couple of different articles and we'll include all of the links to these articles from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Uh, But this one is from, I think this is from the New York Times article. So this setback, which is the coronavirus is coming at a striking moment in February of this year, so 2020, right before the outbreak began to spread in the United States, working women passed a rare milestone, making up more than half of the nation's uh, civilian non-farm labor force. 
still they do a disproportionate share of the work at home, we know. Um, women provide close to 70% of childcare during standard work hours according to recent economic research. So that burden has been supersized as schools and other activities shut down and help from cleaning services and babysitters has been curtailed. So yesterday, two days ago, the Wall Street Journal pub published an article on this exact topic. So we were ahead of our time when we planned this podcast. <laughs> and the article read that opening economies, I love this quote, opening economies without schooling and childcare is a quote, recipe for a generational wipeout of mothers' careers, said Joan Williams, a professor at the University of California Hastings College of Law and a founder of the Center for Work-Life Law. The article goes on, and this actually made me so angry when I read it, um, to say Florida State University administrators faced a backlash recently after telling employees that they wouldn't be allowed to care for children while working remotely. Oh my God, that was so stupid. The school later said, I, it, it, it baffles me. <laughs> the school later said staff should work with supervisors to set schedules, enabling them to meet family and work obligations, which so still white male makes me bristle. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a white male operated, that's the operating system I'm talking about. When I say operating systems need to change, I'm talking about universities, churches, even, you know, um, mm -hmm. law firms, companies, corporations, etc. That's totally white male thinking. That is muted group theory. They're shutting down the voice of women and other minorities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. No question. Yeah. They just released, um, they released our back to school plan, which will change a thousand times, but for the remote learning path, um, there will have to be a quote responsible adult for every child who um, actively logs up to six to seven hours a day of the kid activity. What? Oh, wow. And we all know where that's going to fall. Yep. And it, it is impossible. Like, it, it, just, it breaks my brain. I'm sending you um, more wine. I, I don't even know how that's possible. It, people... I don't know how school systems or anyone can expect parents to, in essence, take on a second full-time job, nope. um, which inevitably means that the people that they're expecting to do this are people that are home and are able to not have two family homes, right. um, which is where we're headed. So women, apparently, this is again from the Wall Street Journal article, women are exiting the workforce at a slightly higher rate than men, federal data show. In March, 57.3% of US women were either working or looking for work. That fell to 56.1% in June, a drop of 2.1%, which sounds small, but when you think about how many million people that is, it's not. Uh, male labor force participation dropped 1.9% in that period from 68.5% to 67.2%. Those numbers may be fluid given that households are still awaiting clarity on school and care situations. So not only are you know, we taking all of the burden on and, and being you know, put in a position where we're responsible for the schooling and the child's care in addition to the work, but there's a likelihood that more women are going to drop out of the workforce in light of what's going on right now. 
you know, it's just this past year that the study find the studies, the research by McKinsey and Lenin showed that we were entering the workforce at the same rate. Finally, like just this last year, we finally got there. We weren't, of course, getting into management and C-suites at the same rate. We're still not even near that, but we were entering the workforce at the same rate. And now this happens. May, may I say something provocative? Not that I've ever asked permission before. <laughs> Just say it. Yeah. So I want to put this out there and people might be like, well, shut up. Your kid is no longer in uh, primary school or that's what they call it. And they call it elementary education, elementary school here. So um, I think the problem is with trying to operate the same way we operated pre-COVID in this new uh, during COVID and post COVID life, the new normal, as everyone's calling it. Um, why does a child have to be at a desk that many hours of the day, you know, an hour or whatever it is on each topic? There are people who have brilliant children, and those children learn in different ways. And I'm going to use an analogy, and I hope it makes sense. And I think you, you ladies will get it because you get me. But you don't have to be at school from eight to three. I mean, maybe think about how we can change the way we're teaching via online resources uh, so that kids are not sitting in front of their computers for eight or nine hours. I know that, that you're thinking we want that sometimes because we can get a break, but if parents have to be actively engaged with that, they can't do that and their full-time job as well. There are ways of teaching that are different than just sitting at a desk all day long. I mean, you can do bits and pieces. You can do, um, you know, when, when I was younger, there were opportunities to, to take classes that were called, um, oh, help me. It's like a super, like on steroids, like the, the class is fast learning. It's short class. It's, I forgot what they're called, like express learning, if you will. Mm -hmm. and, and what's that? Was it intensives? Yes, intensives. Thank you, Marcy. And why, why can't we have, um, you know, shorter classes that just focus on the, the, the meaning? And I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. The books that I love to read as a professional are long and arduous and sometimes, you know, but the point, the main points they make are powerful and meaningful. What some companies have started doing is creating abstracts of those books just getting to the point, getting to the meat of it. The reason those books are long and you know, arduous is because publishers want to sell and the bigger the book, the more money they can make. So that's a, a bunch of added padding in those books, even by our friends whom we love like Dan Pink or Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, they have to pad those books. We can take the main points from what their books say and still learn what we need to know in order to be successful using their um, you know, suggested ideas and such. Same for school, right? Do we have to have, um, you know, you can get abstracts and learn about, um, I in fact am a member of Get Abstracts, not to give them a plug, but give them a plug, getabstracts.com. <laughs> it's amazing. You get a summation. Uh, it's, it's a little better than the Cliffs Notes we used to use in college. Um, but why can't we change the operating system? Again, I'm talking about this time universities right so and elementary schools and middle schools and high schools why can't we change the way they operate to instead of trying to force that same you know system onto this new normal 
making it impossible. Uh, no mother I know could say, well, you know, let dad do it. No, we're always going to jump in. We're always going to do it. Even if dad said he would, we're going to be looking over his shoulder. Um, I know I'm that way. I'm not a, I'm not a helicopter mom and I'm not, I am a mama bear. You mess with my kid and you're, you know, dead to me, but um, maybe just dead. I'm not sure. But you know <laughs> what I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying? Can't we just redo like last night they had a five and a half hour school board meeting how that to me is a systemic issue. If you can't get your business done in fewer than two hours, you're do, you don't know how to run a meeting. And they're talking about <laughs> how are we going to open the schools? And they're reading every public statement that was emailed in. And it, it's just ridiculous. Like, uh, you know, come up, you're supposed to be smart people. You're all well-educated. You're running our school systems. Come up with a clean, concise, effective uh, uh, way of, you know, doing your business and educating our children. Frankly, I, I'm never one to, uh, I was never one to say I could homeschool because that would just make me crazy. And I think my son is smarter than I. So, um, you know, I, I do believe, however, there are, you know, uh, resources and tools available online that would make um, for better education than some of the school systems. I know public school systems, private school systems, whatever. Um, but I'm just saying the way they do it. You, do you do you see where I'm going with that? Completely, completely. And it's it's interesting. I I'm in a new school district. I don't know what this one's going to be like. I'm I'm hopeful. Um, but the school district that I was in, as we wrapped up last year, actually did I thought a tremendous job. Now you're losing. I, I and I had the same mentality, Susan. Is I would watch what they did every day. And it was very similar to what they were doing in, in school as far as what I saw when they came home. And my younger son in particular, he was in second grade. He would do his worksheets and be done in you know an hour. I'm like, so you were in school for <laughs> nine hours or what, eight hours? Yeah, yeah. And you just did all your work in one. So, and I understand there's so much more that they're learning at that age. They're learning the social interaction, right. they're learning to follow the <laughs> rules, they're learning to sit in their seats, they're, you know, going to recess twice a day. So there's all these other things that happen during the day that aren't actual learning um, or associated with learning. It's and so <clears throat> that and that's important. But at the end of the day, in some respects, our education system doubles as a childcare system. Yeah. And I yeah. think we just need to acknowledge that that's the case. And we don't have that right now. <laughs> we but don't have our child, our built-in childcare system on top of the education. But I agree with you. The education can and should be done in a different way. Both of my kids were 100%. They had one Zoom call a week. That was it. The rest of the time was either us helping to structure their day and then they would be off uh, the little one you had to give them a little bit more direction and guidance but the older one they sent out a you know these are your assignments for the week good you know off you go and what i loved about that is we could use our schedule a it gave him the ability to learn time management techniques um if he wanted to try and get everything done by Thursday so he could have the day off on Friday, he could. And he, at the end of this, it was, you know, if, if I had certain time that I could work with him, we could work with my schedule as opposed to him being in front of a screen for however many hours doing Zoom calls. 
So I think, yes, I think there's approach that, you know, that somehow combines a little bit of both because not every child is going to be able to be as self-directed. It's so funny because I, you know, every school district really handled it so differently. My nieces um, and even the classes handled it differently. I had two nieces in the same school, the younger niece, uh, was doing basically the same thing with the worksheets and she would get them every day. And my sister had to be a little bit more involved in making sure that she completed them and overseeing the instruction, which fortunately my sister is trained as a teacher. Um, and then the older niece was sitting in front of a Zoom call every single day, or it was it was Google. I think it was Google they were using. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, the burden can't just be on the schools to change. I think it's also got to be on the employers that this idea that our work lives and our personal lives are totally separate has to change. And, you know, there's been this long issue between people with families, employees with families and employees without families, where a lot of the extra burden has always fallen on single people to pick up extra work because they don't have anybody waiting for them at home. And, um, you know, so I, but this idea that maybe there's more community happening at work too, so that there isn't so much burden on people with families or this assumption that you have to show up to work and pretend that you don't have a family at home, both men and women. Because even though, yes, women, as Susan, you pointed out, whether or not, uh, you know, your husband is going to be willing to take on the burden of, of helping with childcare and education, you're still, as your son's mom, going to oversee that. I think, you know, I know that's true for a lot of the women in my life. You're just going to be like, let me just check because my way is the best way. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's something that um, employers need to look at too, this idea that we pretend that our lives don't exist outside of work. That's just not something that's sustainable anymore now that we know that that's not true. I think that's right. I'm, I'm curious to know, and this maybe we'll have to pull up these statistics at some point. I'm curious to know where this discrepancy is felt most in terms of socioeconomic groups. Yes. Because when I think about, I think about the lowest classes, typically everybody's working. Um, in my neighborhood, most of the women work, but in, in the neighborhood I just moved from, most of the women didn't work. And so it's a, I think it's almost a it's a privilege to have the women at home in some in some instances, and so there's this maybe middle class um, to upper class. I feel is more in a position where the women are at home, and I'm I'm just curious to know what the, that looks like in terms of the socioeconomic breakdown, in terms of where the burdens are coming. Um, I would, and I would say that um, you can't forget those who work in cash only jobs or, ca you know, like yeah. they're being impacted so mightily. It's terrible. I mean, as restaurants are closed, those people who work in those restaurants that live off tips and, you know, their home, they're trying to, you know, how are they making any money? They're not making any money and they're, they've got kids to, you know, it, it's very tough. It's very, think about that, that um, mm -hmm. level of the structure and yes. those people who will be working 
continuing to work but have to be working outside the home whose kids you know what how are they going to homeschool their kids while they have to work maybe two jobs maybe three jobs and are not actually going to be in their house i have a friend who's a teacher and she was talking about how her school district she works in a in a lower socioeconomic region and their school district are looking at sort of three scenarios. One is fully in person, one is fully at home, and the other is a hybrid. And she thinks the hybrid is really the best version because they can keep those kids who really don't have the option to be at home, who maybe aren't safe at home, to come into school where they can really put in some of those COVID protections that the government is suggesting. And then the kids that can be at home and maybe learn a bit better at home could have a separate teacher that could teach them remotely. And I think that really would be a good scenario, but we need to be able to fund that too. So, you know, that creates a whole, that's where you need to really break down the system that exists today and start thinking of it in a different way. Exactly. Interesting. it would be nice to have greater collaboration across the school systems in that respect as well, right? Yes. Yes, there's, because there is a solution. And I'm, if you, I, I'm a data girl. <laughs> we know this. <laughs> um, I mean, I've looked at the research and I think, Katie, you actually intimated that I think you did this too before you um, put your daughter back in daycare. The, there is some evidence indicating that the transmission rates among children are lower. And there, from that perspective, if that's actually the case, and it's hard to know without you know, putting the children back in, in an environment where they're together all the time, but some other countries have done it and are doing it, is you know, if we could align the science-based evidence to some kind of approach, <laughs> uh, that would be ideal, right? If we, if we could get it together in that way. Mark, so, you're getting political there. Because I, you know, well, <laughs> if, but, it, but it shouldn't be political. And this is I where know. I think there's almost a disconnect because it, in saying that I, I'm actually potentially suggesting that I may be an advocate of putting the kids back in school, that makes me sound like I am politically leaning <laughs> right, right? Because that's, because it has become a political back and forth. And the mask is an IQ test. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's, it has become political. And, and because of that, because this is so charged at this point, I don't know that people are necessarily even open. And I'm talking American Academy of Pediatrics is where I read this data. It wasn't some, you know, whatever. Um, So it's, I don't think people are even opening to hear it right now, open to hearing it right now. After a five and a half hour school board meeting, because they read every public comment, (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Incredible. So, So, well, one of the things that we're talking about doing, because I think it would be lovely if we could, you know, come up with solutions, but just an idea that I think may be helpful is this idea of potting for homeschooling. So there are children next door to us who have kids in the same grade, same school, um, and children across the street, same thing. And so we're contemplating the idea of what if we get them all together? So it would be six children together every day for a period of time. We could all share in the cost of a teacher or a nanny, and or if we're able to manage it ourselves, and, and okay. give them some kind of combination, right? And we're still maintaining a small group of people that we've already actually 
created in terms of the coronavirus pods or bubbles that we're in. It's That's like little house on the prairie, the little red schoolhouse. And yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, that is actually my dream too. Um, I just don't know how feasible it is. Um, I'll try it. Let Lindsay and me know. Next kind time. of like back to the future. Yeah. Hi, best budget. Hi. Oh, she's so cute. She wants to be in a pod. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yay pods for homeschooling i love that idea uh, marcy i think that's genius and and where i live we don't have that kind of community but i know down south i had a lot of neighborhoods like that where you you know you have kids around the same age they play basketball on the street or they go to each other's homes. what a great idea that's awesome what do you think yeah yeah, I think so too. And I know, you know, a lot of, even if you just talk to some of the p parents that your kids already go to school with that you're probably friendly with, um, it makes a lot of sense to, as, as Marcy, as you said, you get the social interaction. And maybe if you know certain people have certain types of work on certain days, you know, you decide, okay, so I'm going to take Tuesdays and Thursdays and you take Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, we just don't do it. <laughs> um, and that way, you know, that that uh, is just easier on everybody. So people know they have a little bit of dedicated time that they can give to work or that they can even go into the office if that's something that they can figure out um, with their schedules. But I think that would give people a lot of relief. Um, but I love that idea. I think that would be helpful to a lot of people. Um, and, you know, to your earlier point, I think about women needing a break and some time alone a lot of women that I know see some of their time in the office as time alone, which it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> not at all when you're working and there's don't other kinds Don't tell them. <laughs> I know. Um, but even the commute is a time alone. So, you know, but if you could, if you knew that you had these dedicated one, two, three days a week that your kids were well cared for, that, um, you know, was a different kind of thinking, you know, Susan, to your point that we need to think outside the box a little bit for schooling. You knew that your kids were getting an education. I think that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, here's an analogy. I hope it makes sense to you. Um, and you ladies get me, so it probably will, but maybe no one else out there. <laughs> um, I liken the thinking of a new way about how we teach our children. Does it have to be an eight hour day of sitting at desk? I know the magic happens in between classes and at recess and all the things that uh, the socialization brings to a happy, healthy child. Um, but I was like, you know, let's think of a new way of learning and a new way of teaching much like, um, and y'all know I'm always obsessed with my having gained all this weight. So I was told by a doctor once and I, I love this and it's true. You know, we always say a 1200 calorie diet, right? And we stop eating at 1200 calories or whatever. But if we're eating the wrong things, your body craves um, more. So you, you end up blowing your 1200 calories, right? So you, you have to fill those 1200 calories with the right things, the, nutri the nutritional things. And you can healthily live on a 600 calorie a day diet and be very healthy. It could be the rest of your lifestyle if the 600 calories are the things that feed your body properly, right? So if you're, if you're eating your 1200 calories with, you know, crap, then that's not going to work. Your body's going to crave the proteins that it needs and so forth and so on. 
But if you're filling your body with just the healthy things that it needs to survive, you could live on 600 calories and be healthy and happy and whole. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying about that analogy? We don't need a nine hour school day sitting at desk learning, you know, if if you can learn, um, again, I forgot, intensively, like we used to. Mm -hmm. I, I did some of those. That's how I learned. I mean, I turned out okay. Um, so that that analogy, does that make any sense or is that a stretch? <laughs> is that just I, some of I love it. I yeah. love it. And I, I think, and, you know, you get to do more individual. Some children may need different modes of learning. Some children mm -hmm. may get through things more quickly than other children. And so it does allow for a lot of that individual approach that we haven't been able to, you know, manufacture in schools very well. Right. There's a good book called One Mind at a Time. And it's precisely about what you just said, that children learn in their own way. I mean, not everything that works for one kid is going to work for every other kid. One other quick thing before we go, and I know we've, we've wrapped up. You mentioned Joan Williams. She's a huge resource for my work. She's amazing. She's here in the Bay Area over um, on the East Bay. And her daughter, Rachel Dempsey, um, it's Rachel Williams Dempsey, and then she married a guy whose last name is Williams. <laughs> so um, she, she just goes by Rachel Williams Dempsey. She is the host of the Women at Work podcast, uh, which is a... Um, a a podcast you'll love. It's in conjunction with Lean In. Uh, but she and her mom together did a great deal of research. Uh, and the findings are what I use in the work that I do about uh, um, tightrope bias, um, um, maternal wall bias, um, a few others. But they're really great women. And they every time they open their mouths, I lean in to listen carefully. So thanks for bringing Joan Williams and Christy Wallace and Sally Krawcheck is in the Savvy. Um, Sally runs Elevest, which is the first, uh, she's the first uh, co-founder, first founder of Elevate. And then Sally started Elevest and then Christy became the CEO of Elevate. So all great women, just giving a big shout out to these amazing women. Awesome. Fabulous. And I, I may have actually confused the two women in, in my comment earlier. So that's okay. They're I think we are <laughs> excellent. We, we'll just talk about more women. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we got a little off topic today and we meandered a bit, but I think it was all a useful, valuable conversation. So we'll put the resources online. I know Susan, you kind of take it from here and do a fantastic job of getting things, everything wrapped up and up so that everybody can access it on social media as quickly as possible, um, including the resources and the notes from today's podcast. No pressure there. I was going to skip today because I'm headed to Healdsburg, but now I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. Of course, I'm going to get that up immediately. <laughs> I love you ladies. You're awesome. Bye y'all. Bye, y'all. Thanks, Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Thanks for guys. raising the baby. <laughs> I oh, love her. She needs to visit Aunt Susan. Uh, yes. Happy to. We're great with babies in this house. You just let me know. Bye. 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 Bye.